Hello again, everybody. Tom and Keith back with you. Another week is here, though in some respects this may feel like Groundhog Day. KJ, how are you? Uh, repeating myself, I'm afraid. <laughs> well, that's what I fear as well. <laughs> when last I saw you, it was in the uh, aftermath, the uh, the hours uh, following the North Carolina stunner over Florida State on Saturday. We rehashed that pretty well, and so we'll advance the conversation today, I suppose, if we're able. We are in better spirits, I can tell. Well, I think it was just uh, uh, doomsday or, or karma or otherwise in that uh, what you're referring to is we taped the uh, uh, post-game show over at the Moore Center, and then we decided we'd make our way back over to the Champions Club, i.e. University Center Club, and before we could even get on the elevator to go up, the alarm, fire alarm went off, and everybody had to be evacuated. I thought that was just a fitting end to uh, what was a not very good Saturday. Well, it's, it's certainly somebody pulled the fire yep. alarm on the season. That is the point that uh, we reached rather quickly as Florida State gets set for Miami. The uh, voice of the Canes, Joe Zagaki, is going to join us next segment, uh, and we'll talk uh, a little bit about the, uh, well, a lot about the Canes in Florida State as this uh, show moves along. Something that uh, it was making its way around the uh, the internet uh, probably when last we talked, but it's gotten a lot of airtime or a lot of play the last seventy two hours certainly involving uh, the one play in particular where you can clearly see a couple of players loafing, and I know this has been hashed out and a lot of folks have talked about it, but I know it's uh, it sits particularly poorly with former players like yourself. And I guess I'm just curious, we have, we're having all these conversations, is it coaching, is it the players, is it leadership? Where do you put that? Because effort, and Jimbo's said, any coach would say this, I mean, uh, poor effort is unexcited. I can give effort. I, I don't have an ounce of athleticism, but I can run. And that's the point. You've got these great athletes that are not giving effort, which translates into them being poor football players. I can take some average athletes that will give me great effort, and I can make them into good football players. But if effort is not being extended, if they're not willing to lay it on the line and whatever other cliche you want to say, no amount of coaching, no amount of scheme is going to assist with that. And and I, I'm on a, a, a tree, an email tree, not, not a Twitter or a tweet, but an email tree <laughs> with a bunch of former athletes, older athletes even than I, that played at Florida State. And when that video hit that communications tree, you cannot imagine the vitriol that was um, over the internet airwaves if that's such a thing because that is the one, that is the absolute one controllable thing that you have as an athlete, whether you're a five-star, a one-star, a no-star, a superstar. You yourself control your effort, and they just didn't give it, and that's unacceptable. I mean, we can talk about what you should do, but the bottom line is that has not that has doesn't have a damn thing to do with coaching. That has everything to do with your personal pride, and they ain't got none. Do the players, other players, need to police that? I can assure you what would have happened had that been me uh, and one Reggie Herring and Paul Porowski and one Ron Simmons would have been in my dorm room at my at my locker confronting me on one practice field and that would never have happened again because all three of those gentlemen are much larger than I am a, a couple things here even if you want to go with the players are selfish coddled five star or whatever tape don't lie and those five stars want to play in the league and someday those NFL guys are going to look at that same tape so even if you don't want to subscribe to the team theory it would behoove you 
there's a to men- at least show some effort. There's a mentality out there that says that, no, the NFL is going to judge me on my talent. And for many years, there has been, uh, at least in the way the draft has gone, yeah, they've well, drafted the on talent. Yeah, the measurables are going to matter. Yeah. But what we're finding more now, particularly in the upper picks, first round, second round, they, they investigate attitude. They talk to people that played with you. They talk to your coaching staff. They want to know what kind of person you are. There's a there's a degree of integrity and pride that's now being looked at more so by the NFL than ever in the past. And when they pull that tape out and they see what happened on that tape, I can assure you someone that might have been a second-round pick is going to go to a fourth, and someone that might have been a first-round pick ain't never going to see the first round. You know what was perhaps most disconcerting about that? Two things, and I know that you'll come from the school of thought that it's not excusable regardless. And I'm not going to make excuses for him here. But I could see an instance where if the play is going left and you're the cornerback on the opposite side of the field, 55 yards away, maybe you're kind of jogging. But they were right. They were right. I know. See, I knew this was going to get you. So here comes Keith. But but then I have another point, and then I'll let you jump in. There's where you're wrong. Okay. And I'm going to pick on you. That's you never having played college football at Florida State University the way we play it. It doesn't matter if the play was 155 yards away. You sprint to the ball, period, the end, because you never know what's going to happen. That play could have broke back all the way back around. Switcher could have decided, or whoever that kid was, could have decided to reverse the field. Right, right. Well, and that's a fair point. I, period. I knew I was going to get your blood pressure boiling on it. Secondly, uh, I'm just saying, if you when you Under, understand where you're and you and I from. have been there and we've seen the – I'm just suggesting that at the end, if you're on the field for 75 plays and you get dinged for 10 loafs, you know, some of them may be when you're further away. Doesn't excuse it. I got you especially for you old school guys that had to trudge uphill both ways backwards in the snow to get to practice through the tunnel that used to go under Pensacola Street. Uh, The second thing is, this was not this type of game, although it started out that way, but if it's Louisville and it's 60-20, to not that you should ever quit, but mentally I could see you being defeated. This was that, That video was at the point in the game where it was 28 all. This was not when it was 21 nothing. They had rallied to tie it at 28. That's a significant point in the game, and they quit right then. Go back and look at the tape of the choke and dope and watch how that defense played in the fourth quarter when Florida State came back to tie Florida 31-31. Go back and watch that tape. See what effort was put forth during that fourth quarter and compare that to what you're seeing now. As you mentioned, and the proper way of saying it is the eye in the sky does not lie. It's not about film or tape because that's changed. But the eye in the sky does not lie. It captures everything. And that is the root problem with this defense right now is attitude. I'm going to share something with you and see if you think – if you agree with uh, these statistics. Well, the numbers don't lie, but this is FSU with Derwin James and without Derwin James, and he's not coming back this week. Bear in mind that – with Derwin James includes two and a half quarters against Charleston Southern in the Ole Miss game. So do with it what you will. So you're two and zero with Derwin. You're one and two without. The completion percentage by the opposing offenses with Derwin is forty eight percent. Without is sixty eight percent. The yards per attempt with Derwin is seven point seven. Without is ten point nine. And by the way, FSU's second to worst nationally in that category. The total QBR with Derwin for the opposing quarterback is 20.3, without is 64.5. Now, Florida State faces Miami this week, and uh, they lead the ACC in yards per pass attempt. So 
bear all that in mind. I understand that the without Derwin competition, there's been more of them, and you'd, they'd grade out as higher caliber competition. So I'm not suggesting Derwin fixes everything, but it, he does fix some things. There's no question that that was a significant injury, but the bottom line back to old school, it, it, it doesn't matter. Next man up, you got to play. They don't say, oh, okay, well, Florida State would have beaten so-and-so statistically, and Derwin's been out for three games, so we'll give Florida State two wins and a loss, and you don't even have to play them. Next man up, you've got to play them. The other thing that, that the stat that I've come upon, and I'm not as precise as, as my, my good friend Mr. Block, I generalize, I'm not specific, but one thing to remember also, and I know, you know, I, I know it doesn't matter, but Four of the offenses Florida State has faced through 2016 are in the top 15 offenses in the country. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't like well, we were playing the school for the for whoever fill in the blank or the little sisters. I mean, they have scholarship players too, and and Carolina is a very good offensive team. Doesn't mean doesn't excuse doesn't take away, but you know the the sky is not falling in. We got issues, we got issues, but the sky is not falling in. And you just got to recognize that, steady the ship, and just keep going. Yeah, Bud Elliott with Tomahawk Nation uh, crunched the numbers on that from SB Nation, and and Florida State has yeah, faced. I knew, I knew he would know the numbers. Florida How did I know? He I would don't know. know the the, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but Florida State uh, opponent adjusted offenses has faced the top group in the country, and it's not close. Right. Uh, and you know, and and uh, for perspective, and he put these numbers out there as well. I think Miami has faced the 109th group. Their defense. Uh, and we'll talk more about Miami. So uh, you're right; it hasn't fallen in. Although some folks are acting like it, and we're gonna have, we're gonna react to this later on. Joseph Gacky's gonna join us in our next segment. Uh, I will remind you for those of you that are not going to uh, South Florida, and and frankly, in light of the current state of the defense and the storm that's churning up the Atlantic, uh, I would understand if you weren't uh, headed down there. And we and we do want to send uh, our thoughts, concerns, prayers to everybody that uh, may be in harm's way there. Stay safe this weekend. Um, but assuming you're in Tallahassee and assuming the game goes on as scheduled at 8 o'clock on Saturday night, head on over to Madison Social. I don't know what their specials are, but it will be a special time. I can assure you of that because it always is, uh, and the weather's right, just right to have those garage door opens and have a good t- You know what disappointing news happened at Madso, by the way? Well, they lost their home winning streak. First home loss in the Madso era last week, and uh, fortunately for them, they're getting ready to open a couple of new establishments, so we can still trot that out there, hopefully. Uh, you know, we're unbeaten at home in the Centrale era, which opens, uh, <laughs> I think, in the in the next couple of days officially. We'll just start over. We'll start over. All right. Uh, we will start over with a new segment. Joe Zagacki will join us when we come back. We'll talk uh, Canes and Knowles here in the front row. front row it is florida state miami week in florida state obviously uh struggling and we've talked a lot about that but in south florida they're bracing uh for a storm and we'll go to the earl bacon agency hotline earl bacon agency ensuring your future together say hello to the uh longtime voice of the miami hurricanes who's uh, been a guest on this show as well joe zagaki joe z how are you i'm doing good tom keith how are you we're putting up hurricane starters yeah you we were talking about before we came up uh, you know we we got hit uh what three weeks ago and uh, and hopefully you will not be but uh the weather is the weather yeah we can't uh we can't control this one so it's going to be close it's going to be a close shave 
for the southeast Florida coast. So we'll just wait and see. And uh, we've been through it before, but hopefully it stays offshore. Well, and uh, just know that uh, we send thoughts and prayers your way. I grew up in South Florida. I'm sure you were there and lived through uh, Hurricane Andrew and the others that have gone down there. So uh, fingers crossed because this, this is a serious storm, obviously. Uh, uh, Joe, Joe, listen. Yeah, Hurricane Andrew wasn't my favorite experience. but <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, I don't think it was anybody's, no question. Hey, Joe, uh, it still seems weird to Florida State folks to think of Mark Richt being the head coach at Miami, even though he played there, but then was associated with Bobby Bowden for a long time and obviously most recently was at Georgia for, for over a decade. But how is he fitting in at uh, with the Canes? Oh, he's been great, and you're right, Tom. It's a little funny that he was the enemy for so long, even though he was one of ours. And I think he was, he was the enemy because, the games were so great, and he had a lot of success. But he's been great down here. Uh, he's done everything right. He's going to—I think—he's going to really build a, a solid program, get it back toward uh, where people want to see it. I think the play, at least, is going to reflect what the University of Miami looked like. I don't know that we're ever going to go back to the days that Miami and Florida State had because of the attrition in college football. But he has so much credibility, and he brings so much leverage that when he speaks, and he doesn't—and he, he speaks softly. But people listen, whether it's the administration, the fans, the players, the broadcasters. He's the one that's got the power because he's got the victories under his belt. He's looking for his 150th career win on Saturday, and he's coached. Uh, this will be his 201st game, so uh, that's a pretty good record. We don't want to say anything disparaging about Al Golden. He was one of my personal favorites within the ACC. But, but what are a couple of the things that Mark is doing different uh, under his regime that Golden wasn't, that, that, that the players and the fans are most favorably responding to, other than winning, of course? Yeah, well, I just think, uh, one, it's his gentle approach. Two, he's a former Hurricane. And uh, three, uh, Miami fans have been craving for a long time. Everybody, as you know, puts all their chips into it's funny how it works to put all their chips into the coach and the coaching name even though they spend 10 months out of the year talking about recruiting and personnel but all chips go in behind who is your coach and they have seen a financial commitment to mark rick so they equate that with credibility and winning and then the things that he's done differently uh from coach golden is return miami more to a, the pro style offense uh, more of an eye formation. Although, I think, you know, Coach Rickton is recruiting down the road. He's probably going to tinker with, with his offense. Uh, but then, specifically on defense, return Miami to uh, less complicated, more attacking defense. And they played better in the first four games. Now, the first three, uh, you know, went as, as expected. Georgia Tech, Miami held them to about 246 yards rushing compared to previous years. The Yellow Jackets have been over 300, so they see a more attacking style, and that's why they're embracing him. You know, it's interesting talking about Mark Richt uh, being one of yours, if you will, who was at Florida State. Now you're talking about the defense, and uh, your defensive coordinator is one of ours in Manny Diaz. And, uh, you know, historically we can go back through this. I mean, Ron Frazier maybe is the biggest example of a Florida State alum who uh, made his name at Miami, uh, you know, over the years. But, but talk a little bit about uh, Manny Diaz and, and what he's done with that attacking style and, and how he's simplified the defense. Yeah, he's, uh, he's made Miami look like a Southeastern Conference defense. Now, I still think there are some holes in the defense, but he's done a good job of covering it up. They're playing with three freshman linebackers that have been really good, and they've made it simple for them. There's the quarterback, there's the running back, go get them. Um, so they've simplified that. 
They brought in Craig Kuligowski as the defensive line coach from Missouri, and he has really done a good job, I think, with these defensive linemen. Now, Miami hasn't had great defensive linemen. I think it's one of the reasons that they, that we've seen or saw the demise of Miami defense. Al Golden, for all his faults, has invested heavily into the front seven, and Manny Diaz and Mark Richt are getting some of the rewards of that. Uh, Shaq Quarterman has been really good at middle linebacker. Pickney's been really good out at outside linebacker. Uh, McIntosh and Norton inside the defensive tackle have done a good job for them getting penetration. So they've created more plays in the backfield. I think what they have done is simply said, look, this is college football. Uh, we're going to put pressure on the offense on every down. And we're going to give up some big plays. We're going to create more big plays. And throughout the course of the game, uh, because we put the offense under the pressure, under the gun, uh, they're going to create some more mistakes. So I think that's been their theory. So far it's worn out. A much bigger test in this game Saturday night. Jack, you talk, uh, you, you, you talk about that front seven. That secondary I am very impressed with. I, I would say almost that's, uh, Joe, that's the strength of this defense. Yeah, Keith, I think they've been uh, – you know, you want to have senior leadership and senior players, and that's the most veteran part of the Miami defense. And Carter and Jenkins at safety have played like seniors, and they've accept, accepted that responsibility of, of leadership. They've been really good in the run game, getting down the box. They've been sure tacklers. That's been a difference from last year. They've been sure tacklers. They haven't been missing tackles. And if you have a good tackling team, then you prevent big plays. And Miami's been a good tackling team, and the guy that's has had a hell of a season so far, is Corn Elder. And quite frankly, I thought, man, in the spring, he's not, he's not physical enough, and Coach Rick was concerned about it. But so far, he's held up in Miami's man-to-man defense, and he's been very physical, uh, making plays, making tackles. The other cornerback spot has been between Redwine and Adrian Colbert. Colbert came from Texas. This kind of tells you where Miami is. This is good and bad. Colbert came from Texas as a fifth-year senior. He had no stats at Texas. I don't know how you go through four years and have no stats, but he's lining up as a starter for Miami. He's played pretty good, and then you're playing three, three freshman linebackers. You probably should not be in that position, but they've been able to work around it. Yeah, well, and to that point, uh, this is just an assumption on my part, but, but given that a couple of guys were dismissed before the season, is depth a, a concern? I'm sure depth is not where Mark Rick would like to see it across the board. Uh, yes, I think. You know, it is, it is Tom, but they've also, uh, because of the situation and, and I think because of the schedule they played, and this has been a blessing, is they've been able to play a lot of guys and keep players healthy uh, because the games have been out of hand. Therefore, guys like Mike Smith, a linebacker, Charles Perry, a linebacker, Darian Owens, who was injured last year at linebacker, have been able to get a lot of playing time, and I think they've been able to get good evaluations of them. At the same time, Trent Harris was injured, so they were able to keep him out, really, of the first two games uh, without further damage. And then he played great last week against Georgia Tech. So because of who they have faced, they've been able to establish some of that depth and haven't lost anybody. They haven't had uh, the attrition other than uh, Grace and Muhammad, who uh, were knocked off the team before the year. Joe, I think the one player, though, that Florida State fans are most fearful of is uh, the guy that uh, plays the quarterback position in Brad Kaya. Uh, just talk about his development last year to this. Um, uh, he, he is a truly outstanding QB. Yeah, I like him a lot. I hope he stays for another year. Uh, I don't know if he will or will not. 
He's uh, third all-time now in Miami's touchdown list. He threw his 50th touchdown uh, last week, but he stands tall in the pocket. Uh, he does take a hit. I think he was a little shy uh, after the Clemson game last year when he got a concussion, and Miami's got to do a better job of protecting him. And I think for Mark Rick, it was very simple. Uh, the FAU game, he got jostled around a little bit. Coach Rick said, well, he's a pocket passer. we got to give him a pocket. So they've been giving him a better pocket in a variety of ways, helping out the offensive line. That will be the key matchup. That being said, Kaya has thrown for nearly 800 yards in two games against Florida State, and I think he has seen really two really good Florida State defenses and has been able to hang in there. Um, he throws the ball with authority. He's really accurate, puts the ball in some really tight spots, protects the ball really well. It does have three interceptions this year, only had five last year, but uh, does spread the ball around, and I don't think you're going to bait him into bad decisions. If Florida State's going to beat him, it means Demarcus Walker is getting to him or uh, Walker and Josh Sway are getting to him. But if he can stand in the pocket and look around, he's going to have success. And the other thing, I think because he's a veteran, uh, the App State game, Miami goes out for a drive, and Mark Rick, uh, while Miami was on the sidelines, just puts a play in, draws it up right there for Brad on a piece of paper. It was a pump to the right side, then come back to the left side and do a deep to Amon Richards. I don't think you can do that with, with an inexperienced quarterback. Well, of course, the, the quarterback's best friends are running game, and with Walton and Yerby, I mean, golly, they are already at 800 yards on the ground, averaging about 200 yards a game between the two of them. Uh, that's a pretty good one-two punch. Uh, Walton has been really good. And then uh, last week it was Yerby that got involved. But I think Walton, if Miami is if Miami's going to get back to Frank Gore, Willis McGee, Clinton Portis, the guy that's closest to it talent-wise is Walton. Uh, Yearby, I think he can beat you in short bursts. You know, he can beat you from 25 or 30 yards out. Mark Walton can beat you from 80 yards out. He's tough. He's a really good receiver. He loves football. He really loves playing. He loves practice. Uh, loves playing. Loves the competition. And, uh, you know, these games in the past, if you got a yard and a half or two yards, uh, you, you, you thought that was pretty good. Um, I don't think Miami wins this game without Walton running the ball better. Last year, Miami could not run against Florida State. And, and, you know, running for less than 50 yards on Saturday night will be unacceptable. And uh, Walton has made he's had some spectacular runs. I mean, you can say, okay, he did it against FAU or App State, but you kind of have to look inside the run to see what he did, the balance, the vision, and his ability to spin out of trouble uh, and his strength and power. Those were Those are the ingredients that made him special. Hey, Joe, I want to go back to Kaya for a minute. You, you said you hope he comes back for another year. Isn't he projected as a top five, top ten pick? I mean, that feels like me saying I hope Dalvin Cook comes back for another year at FSU. Is there? I mean, do you think there's a chance there? Um, I think there's a chance because of the um, education he's getting from Mark Rick. And I think there's a chance because as the season unfolds, I think there's more scrutiny of quarterbacks and so while they love him today, they might not love him three or four weeks from now. And if Florida State roughs him up a little bit uh, or somebody else during the course of the year, then you know how that game goes. All of a sudden, up, oh, he's flawed, he's this, and he's that. So I would say uh, there's going to be a lot more scrutiny coming his way. I don't think it's likely, but he's also only 21 years old. And we had this discussion with him the other day. You know, he's going to be going up against guys what, 30, 
32 years old. Um, I don't know that he steps in, to be quite honest with you. Uh, a year from today, I don't see him as a starting quarterback in the NFL. He might be a high pick. I don't see him as a starter. Good. Uh, well articulated there. Makes sense as I, as I hear you play through that. I mean, Dalvin is a running back. You know, you only get so many, you can only get so much tread on those tires. So I don't see any scenario where he would, where he would come back to FSU. Well, Joe, I, I mean, let's be honest. Florida State has struggled this year defensively. Uh, we've heard for a lot of years that this is the year that Miami's going to get Florida State. I have to believe that in Coral Gables, Miami feels like this is the year they're going to get Florida State. <laughs> you know, it's funny how uh, history has a way of uh, flipping things, you know. We're going to celebrate, or at least we hope to celebrate, the 91 uh, national championship team. That was uh, wide right game number one, and that's when Carruthers came out with a line. He said, well, we thought we were going to win. Miami knew they were going to win. And I think um, we're probably in that situation now. It's still flip-flopped. You know, Miami thinks they're going to win. Florida State comes into this game with the belief that they are going to win, knowing they're going to win. That's what they want to say. So Miami's got to flip that mentality. Um, I think they're getting closer to leveling the playing field talent-wise. You know, if you want to play the star game, probably because of attrition that Florida State has gone through. But, you know, I look at Florida State's talent level on defense, and every guy's a four- or five-star player. I look at Miami, and they're up to – They've got 12 four-star guys and two five-star guys on their defense. So they are getting there. They have the experienced quarterback, the more experienced quarterback. Um, I think the game comes down to the line play. Miami's offensive line, can they hold up against Florida State's defensive line? And then can Miami create enough traffic to slow down Dalvin Cook? Uh, I think it's pretty simple. The game comes down to the fours. For Miami, can they tackle four and can they block 44? Yeah, well, that's a, that's a good summary. Joe, uh, we'll look forward to seeing you on Saturday. Appreciate your insight. Stay safe, uh, not just you, but all of South Florida over the next few days. All right, guys, always a pleasure. Look forward to seeing you. All right. See you, Joe. Okay, the, take the voice of the Miami Hurricanes, Joe Zagacki, and uh, he's been a South Florida uh, guy for a while, obviously. And uh, we, we saw him at the ACC kickoff. We'll see him again on Saturday. But that is uh, the most important thing this weekend is staying safe with that storm. Let's react to what he said uh, when we uh, come back here on the front row. Stay with us. No education. We don't need no thought control. Back on the front row, Tom and Keith with you. Our Seminoles.com insider Tim Linnefelt will join us next segment. KJ, anything uh, stick out in particular from what Joe had to share? Well, I, I think there's a quiet confidence, uh, and obviously Joe's in the booth. He's not a coach. He's not on the field. But I think there's a very quiet confidence in this Miami program that starts with Mark Rick. I think it uh, has been uh, strengthened by the fact that they're sitting at 4-0. Yes, they played three uh, lesser opponents, but they did play a very good game against Georgia Tech. Defensively held them down well below their average for rushing, uh, created some turnovers. Uh, Kaya continues to throw the ball with with authority, uh, completing about 66-67% of his passes. Uh, you know, he, He's just a guy that can get hot. We saw that last year. He threw for over 400 yards against Florida State, though Miami lost in that ball game. And and I think they just feel like this is this is is a, a situation that everything is in their favor. Uh, they're playing at home. 
their their defense is playing well, giving up about 11 points a ball game. Their offense is continuing to grow. They've got good balance in between their running game and their passing game. And I fully think that this is a Miami squad that looks at the Florida State game and goes, you know, we will win this game. And they might very well do that. Well, this year would be more likely than than previous years, even though they've talked the talk for several years now. Brad Kai is a really good quarterback. I know Florida State feels like, and Joe mentioned this, and this would go with any quarterback, but the key to, uh, you know, forcing some incompletions with Kai in particular, is you got to move him off his spot. If you just let him sit in his spot, he is too accurate and he will pick you apart. And we saw what that looks like last week. Now, there won't be the same. It is more of a pro-style eye formation. It's not going to be the read option look. That is one thing. He truly is the least mobile of any quarterback FSU's seen this year. He'll remind you of a Chris Winkie. That, that's the, the Florida State comparison. Uh, or maybe a Thad Busby. Uh, it can really throw the ball down the field. Uh, is very smart. Uh, doesn't make dumb mistakes. You can't bait him into things. Uh, he's a third-year starter now, even though he's still a junior, as we talked about the issue of whether he would or wouldn't come out for the NFL draft. Uh, plenty of experience. Uh, Mark Rick is, is as good with quarterbacks as, as anybody. You know, Probably the only one that, that, that in the Southeast that's better is Jimbo in terms of developing quarterbacks. Um, and I think Miami has really, really responded to Mark's uh, demeanor uh, don't don't ever underestimate that soft spokenness. We you know we've talked about this a little bit, and I've right. had conversations with Brad Johnson and Derek Brooks about Tony Dungy being soft spoken. Uh, don't ever mistake being soft spoken for not being driven or being a competitor. Uh, Dungy very much so uh, won a Super Bowl as as folks will remember with Tampa Bay. Mark's the same way. Uh, he used to have those quarterback get-togethers in the spring where Charlie and, and all those guys, Casey and it Brad. basically was quarterback Olympics. Oh, my yeah, I mean, they gosh. kept score on everything. Oh, yeah. my gosh. How many minutes did you sleep last night? Well, I slept two minutes more. I mean, it was, it was unmerciful uh, in good spirit, but very, very competitive. One thing Mark has not done well is win his rivalry games. That, that is a criticism, if you are correct. I mean, it was not a stellar record when he was in Athens uh, with what he did against Florida, regardless of the talent on the field. So it'll be interesting. It'll be a hyped-up atmosphere, no question. Uh, Quickly, on the other side of the the script there, talking about Manny Diaz being aggressive defensively with Miami, uh, that could cause problems for Florida State, but maybe the best way to negate that is to get number four on track. Well, the thing that it does, and, and, you know, I've always been confused. I'm old. I know you, you look at me and go, you stay confused, Jones. But this whole concept of run blitz. <laughs> and you stay old. Too. Yeah. <laughs> this whole concept of run blitz. Uh, Diaz is as good as anybody at, at creating situations where he brings in linebackers or safeties. And they're blitzing, but they're not all out blitzing. In other words, they're still maintaining gap control. And that's the one thing you've got to protect against. If, if I'm scouting Florida State and I'm saying, how do you keep Dalvin Cook from gashing you you keep dalvin cook from gashing you the same way you keep thomas and watson and those mobile quarterbacks from gashing you you maintain gap control you don't give him creases and the second thing is you've got to have some athletes uh, which miami does and we talked about their secondary and i think the best point that joe made about their secondary is open field tackling because you know Cook's going to push you on the edge. He's going to try to get you with that speed. And there will be one guy most of the time, Tommy, that's open and has a shot at him. 
But as we well know, very few one guys bring down Dalvin. Well, these Miami one guys are in a better position maybe than anybody else to bring down Dalvin one-on-one. So that will also be an interesting uh, matchup, so to speak, as the game progresses. I do think it's a good thing that Florida State is playing Miami this week compared to, say, Wake Forest in light of what happened last week because the only chance to me to shake the cobwebs and and have a good week of practice was to – to find something that might motivate you a little bit on Saturday. And Wake Forest and homecoming wasn't going to do it. I I agree. Uh, The downside of it is this is a very talented, a very talented Miami team playing with a lot of confidence. And I just just have to tell you, I think Florida State's they're going to be hard-pressed to be successful this week. All right. We will uh, pin Tim Linnefelt down, our Seminoles.com insider, see if he agrees with your sentiment on that one as Florida State gets set to take on the Canes. Stay with us. We'll come back with more on the front row right after this. On the front row with a new twist, new walk-up song. Yeah, did did Tim request that we go to Pearl Jam here? What's the story on this? As we say hello to our Seminoles.com insider via the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, Tim. How are you? Was this a, a personal request? Uh, it, well, this is actually the the doing of our good friend Tom Lynn. But uh, you've given everything that's gone on lately. I think we're, we're turning over all stones to try to, to to change up the mojo a little bit going into. Saturday. You know, so now, well. now that you mention this, hold on a second. Keith and I are going to change seats. Come on, Keith. We're changing. Here we go. Right. One second, Tim. Oh, I actually changed chairs. All right. We're changing seats. Oh, you- I was going to change locations. We didn't do that very well. We're just changing <laughs> chairs. Okay, right. here we go. All we right, changed we're ready. chairs. Now we're good for this segment. All right, Tim. Everything's fixed now, then. You feel pretty good about Saturday? Yeah, we knew it was so simple. I mean, we could we should have done that a couple of weeks ago. And and Keith is smiling because he's now in the uh, the upper chair. He's towering over me once again. <laughs> Nothing makes him happier than to be in the superior chair. It's the little things in life, Tim. Hey, it, you, you, ne- you never know. Uh, it it has uh, been uncomfortable lately, as you know. Uh, I'm not sure what the tenor has been after practice the last couple of days, but you know, coaches are are grinders, and that's the sense I get from Jimbo and the little bit we see from Charles Kelly. Uh, on the Showtime show, I mean, they they go back at it, but sometimes grinding isn't enough. Sometimes you gotta you gotta tweak how you're doing things. I mean, do you get a sense that they're turning over every rock uh, as well behind closed doors? I think they might be, and and I wonder if that's different this week than than the weeks before when you know it was get back to work, get back to what you do well, and and you know what Jimbo said after the Louisville game was you know basically believe in yourself, believe that. You know, you're a good player or a good coach, and you know what you're doing, and, and it'll work out in the end. And I think now it's the point where you you have to at least try something different, maybe, um, and and see what comes up. Because not to say that it will go that way, but another you know another game like we saw against North Carolina or Louisville on Saturday would just it would be it would be tough to swallow. I think for everybody, obviously. So at this point, I think you have to kind of just you know see what you can find. And I know that's not a very satisfying answer, but that's kind of where we are. Unfortunately, one of the things that, that comes about when you're in situations like this is the is the public, if your fans in particular, start scrutinizing everything. So Monday, the the uh, starting line or the depth chart comes out, 
and there hasn't been wholesale changes. They're upset about that. Uh, Jim has talked about, uh, you know, they've got to be refocused in practice, but practice is closed. Nobody knows what's going on. You know, we won't really know about personnel changes, and we won't know about attitude changes until about 8.15 uh, down in Miami. I mean, that's the reality of, of the way college football is today. Certainly, and, and especially when it comes to the, you know, attitude, and I think that and the sort of, I guess, demeanor is the word, but that's been one of the issues surrounding the team, I think, over the, the first month or so of the season is just the, the way that they've come out uh, in the first quarter, first half, and, and fallen behind in, in all these games. I mean, it, it just if you're a fan, it has to drive you crazy because it's so inexplicable to see a team that we know, we, we, we do have empirical evidence at times that when this team is playing up to capability or playing close to capability, it, it looks fantastic. And so the, the fact that there are times when it wouldn't, uh, it just again, it just has to make you bang your head against the wall. And you've seen it at times in, in the Showtime show, like you mentioned, when, when Jimbo's there giving his speeches at, at halftime or after the game. It, it seems like it, it, he has to be frustrated by it, too. Is why are you guys, why does it take falling behind by two or three scores for you guys to play the way you're supposed to when, you, when everybody here knows that you can? Uh, and, again, it's one of those things I don't know that there's an obvious answer for it. And we're in this sort of weird pattern of you, you don't really know what you're going to get until you're actually there and so uh it certainly isn't boring but uh but it's probably you know not a lot of fun for for fans having to kind of wait that out either i do think we need to point out though that though the ire has been directed at the defense uh it takes two to tango in terms of falling behind 21 nothing and some of that maybe half of it's on the offense for not scoring points early on yeah and and i think that's a fair point and it's it's tough. I mean, the offense kind of, I think, ducks under criticism when they do score as much as they did the other day and, and had the lead at the end of the game. But you're right. You know, the, the, the three missed field goals, the, the, I guess one of them was a block, uh, kind of looking a little disjointed, I thought, for the first half of the game or, or so the first quarter of the game. Uh, you know, look, man, it's just that they've had their issues too, whether it be with penalties, whether it be struggles up front at times or the offensive line has been a little bit better. Uh, we saw some uh, some receivers drop some passes that might have taken away those field goal opportunities and led to touchdowns. So again, like you kind of like you said at, at the start here, when when you're looking for solutions everywhere, uh, everybody's got to be on board. And so I think while the overall the offense had a really good day, you can point back to some issues that you know whether it's moving backwards with penalties or, or dropping the pass or what have you. That you know the, the, those need to be cleaned up too. And when there's not a lot of margin for error, and apparently there isn't right now. Uh, those are the things that have to get better. Two weeks always gets uh, circled on the schedule, uh, Tim. Uh, Miami week and Florida week. It's Miami week. Have you sensed, I know we're ha- just halfway through the work week, but have you sensed a heightened uh, focus, uh, a different mentality around the Morn Center, a little more energy uh, this week than maybe uh, weeks prior? I think so, and a lot of that comes from uh, talking uh, earlier this week to Dalvin Cook, who, of course, is a Miami native, and you've seen, his output against UM, his first two seasons, he obviously takes this game very seriously. And look, there's a situation where we don't know what the future holds as far as his postseason or what have you for Florida State, whether you know the ACC is potentially still on the table. The college football playoff seems unlikely, but you never know what can happen. But for right now, we're in a situation where Florida State hasn't lost to Miami in, in six games, and Keith, you probably understand this. No, no team wants to be the team that, that breaks the streak, you know what I mean? That 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 can say, well, that we're the ones that let them get let them get to us. So I do think that's important for these guys. Uh, 
Florida State, of course, always wants to beat Miami, and, and this year's Florida State team has a lot of Miami guys who are going back home and are you know catching catching it right now from friends and family and hearing it from people back there. Now that Miami seems to be cruising and Florida State struggling, so uh, uh, there's nothing I think that can sort of wash a bad taste out of a Florida State team's mouth and going down to Miami and beating the Hurricanes down there, and that's at least what Florida State has the opportunity to do this week. Do you think, I'm going back to the offense a little bit, but really this question apply, can apply defensively too. Uh, Jimbo, you know, there's, there's situations where Jimbo coaches conservative, going for the field goal instead of going for it on fourth and one or two. Uh, you know, I think in his entire tenure at FSU, he's called two fake punts, if memory serves, one in the national title game, one at Maryland a couple years prior. I don't know that there's ever been a fake field goal. Uh, defensively, this has not been a team that blitzes a lot. Do you think that we see some of these changes? I mean, if you're at the 30-yard line on my in, at Miami on Saturday and it's fourth and one, might you go for it? Might you do some things differently to hold on to the ball and try and get seven, not three? Maybe. And look, you know, it would have been nice, obviously, when you look at the final score and see that they lost by two, it would have been nice to have made one of those field goals. But at the same time, it's the first quarter, the first drive, of the game, you have an opportunity to, to get some points. I know that you know, there's there's math and there's studies out there that say you should go for it, but I think every coach in the country almost is going to kick a field goal in that situation, and most people wouldn't blink an eye. I think if Florida State had made the field goal, even even the people who bang the always go for it drum or whatever the case may be would say, all right, fine, uh, and, and get a lead. I mean, I do think there's value for, if you think you're trying to protect your defense, giving them a lead of any kind the first time they take the field isn't a bad thing either. Uh, it's something that we hadn't seen Florida State do uh, in any of their previous games against FBS competition is, is get, the, get the lead first, and then they didn't do it, obviously, against North Carolina. Uh, yeah, I, I, I see it. I, I don't know. I would be surprised if Jimbo Fisher would change that philosophy. I guess maybe, but it, I feel like that's sort of one of those things that in, in hindsight is maybe criticized a little more heavily than it would have been, certainly not if, if, if Florida State had just made the field goal to begin with. Yeah, well, clearly hindsight factors in that. And I'm not suggesting change is overall philosophy so much as... Uh, Making a one-game exception. Sort of change the mojo, whether it's going for one of those, whether it's a trick play. And I know the old adage, you know, if you've got the players, you don't need to run them. But whether it, maybe it's an onside kick, just something different, uh, you know, than, than the norm. Yeah, it could be. And look, you know, there's something to be said. Uh, if This is just hypothetically, uh, but, you know, if, if the they were to start off with a surprise onside kick or something against Miami, um, you know. Then, I, if the players knew that going in, then yeah, maybe they would be more excited going going into it. But at the same time, if you start off with a surprise onside kick, you know, Sean Payton style or something, and you don't get it, and now you're on the road, and Miami has the ball on your forty yard line, uh, and if that doesn't work out, then you know, you're going to be just hammered. So. I, I agree with you. I think that, that, that Jimbo Fisher's mo, so to speak, has, has always been to to play things a little bit more on the conservative side and, and let his, his skill and, and talent win out. Uh, my guess is that that probably won't be changing too much. I know that's you know, maybe not what people want to hear, but that's, that's my own hunch, uh, and, and we'll see. <laughs> Hopefully we'll see Saturday whether I'm right or not. Tim, anybody around the Moore Center surprised, as I was, that the uh, kickoff was 8 o'clock primetime? I, I didn't anticipate that. Uh, a little bit. I actually thought that it might have a chance to be at noon just because it seemed like this year, this season, that they actually have been beefing up the noon slate a little bit. And, you know, when you think back on some of those famous FSU Miami games from the 80s and 90s, it seemed like they were always played 
at noon, but probably shouldn't have been surprised that it's, it's a night game down there. I don't think there's too many super high-profile games uh, this weekend, and then I think this is the Florida State hasn't played Miami played at Miami any time other than eight o'clock since I guess it was 2008, which was before Jimbo Fisher was even the head coach. They like having this game uh, in prime time, especially down there. It seems so. I was a little bit surprised they got their folks for too, but we probably shouldn't have been. Well, FSU and Miami draw draw ratings. I mean, that's the simple answer to it. Uh, I mean, nationally, it'll do a nice number. I mean, for Herb Street and Fowler, this is what the third FSU game they will have done out of six so far. I mean, so they've seen you don't it. have to update the charts, just the numbers. Maybe that's what it is. They sit around in their meeting and say, you know, I don't feel like filling out a new chart. Can we just do Florida State again? I've already got my depth I'm, chart. I'm sure that's how it works. All right, hey Tim, uh, anything else you would like to add before we let you go on your way? You know, I will say this, and I was talking to uh, somebody in our office. You guys both know Bob Thomas, longtime uh, beat writer, and now he's, he works in our sports information department at Florida State. And he was saying, and I tend to agree with him, is whether or not there, there have been significant improvements on defense this week, I think there's a pretty good chance that they might just look better against Miami. And I think that has a lot to do with the offense that Miami runs. Uh, they're not going to be if, – if what Mark Rick has done in the past is any indication, you know, they're not going to be hurrying up to the line. They're not going to be – out. It's going to be an offense that probably looks a, a, a lot more like the one that Florida State runs. Now, I mean, it's not to say that Brad Kai isn't a really good quarterback and, and that they won't have success on offense because I think they will. He's a really good player and he's had some success against Florida State in each of the two games he's played against him before. But I do think Florida State might have a better time defending this specific offense than you would see against Louisville or, or North Carolina. And, and, uh, and that could be something just to keep an eye on. Times have changed when we look forward to playing Miami for that reason. Yeah, it's simple. <laughs> it's simple. Hey, Tim, thank you. Safe travels. You got it, guys. We'll see you down there. He's our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefelt, via the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, ensuring your future together. KJ, we have one more segment to do, and we will do it right after this. Back on the front row as we finish up. I like that onside kick idea, and it occurred to me during the break that when Sean Payton and the Saints did it, it was in the same stadium. I don't know what it was called back then, but that's where that year's Super Bowl was. It was Joe Robbie. No, I don't think. Was it Joe Robbie? No, that's what I call it. Oh, that's regardless what call, of yeah. the name. <laughs> that's what it was when I worked there years ago. The first year it opened, it was uh, Joe Robbie. And it's, we didn't talk to Joe about uh, uh, those that are traveling down. What the new uh, features of the stadium are? They did what a four hundred million dollar renovation. They did. They did, uh, and it looks nice. I don't know. What, there was remember at the beginning of the year there was talk about would they get it done and get it done. That's right. Yeah, obviously they did, and we'll be there. And uh, I'll. I can report back. You can as well after we uh, see the stadium firsthand this weekend. I want to shift gears real quick. Uh, outside of FSU Miami, the ADs uh, in the ACC are meeting uh, today and tomorrow. And uh, as we're recording, we don't have definitive uh, word on this, but it appears, and one of the big things they were going to decide is if they were going to go to a nine-conference game plus one power five out-of-conference opponent or conference uh, one power five opponent. It could have been a conference opponent, but outside of your league schedule. Or stick with eight and uh, or go to eight and two. And it looks like they're going to stay with the status quo is now what's on the table. There's been real division on this, meaning we'll stay with eight conference games and 
you got to play one power five, but other than that, you do what you want. In other words, what what we're hearing is a lot of talk and nothing will change. So it's just been discussed. It's really so it's really been deadlocked because the schools in the league that have an out of conference power five opponent annually, which there's four of them. Florida State obviously has Florida, but Clemson has South Carolina, Georgia Tech has Georgia, and Louisville has Kentucky. They want no part of going to nine conference games. Uh, because if you went to nine conference games for those schools, then you'd have a legitimate opponent in Florida or whoever it is, Georgia. Some years you'd have Notre Dame, and you have no room to be nimble with the remaining schedule. And in Florida State's case, that's a big deal because they've been uh, using what flexibility they do have to go play neutral site games and make probably twice as much over what they'd make on a home conference game. I do think uh, maybe one of the things that come out of it, if in fact nothing changes, the change will be that you can schedule an ACC school, but it not count as a conference well, that's, game. Well, that's been part of it. They, they can do that still. Well, but nobody's done it. Right. My point is there may be more momentum to do that as opposed to go to the 9 plus 1 model. I personally want to see us go to the 9 plus 1 model. That's just me. I just think that's long-term the best answer uh, to the scheduling issue. Uh, but I understand and respect those that would disagree with me. And, and if they stay status quo, uh, then maybe, maybe more encouragement of a ACC opponent that doesn't count as a conference game may come about. Well, to your point, if you stay status quo, so what's what's the downside of that? Well, the downside is the reason they were going to change is to get more dollars from the ACC network. So if you're staying status quo, and we don't know how much this would affect, but there won't be the same dollars there for each school. Well, was it to get more dollars or to just keep it? It was to get just more, to keep uh, ESPN, ESPN happy. Well, ESPN wanted more, better inventory, and so they were going to give more money. They were going to pay more. The same when Notre, when they owned when they bought Notre Dame and brought them into the conference, that was at about thirty million dollars per year, which broke down to two or three million per school because they now have. And so there would be more money if they go to the nine plus one model because I've not heard that. Well, this, it's speculation, but that's what that's the whole reason. That's the reason they're going from eighteen conference basketball games to twenty. You have more, better inventory. A Duke, more, more better? More better. You're I'm from using, Wildwood. You're from Wildwood. A, a conference game, whether it's another Duke-Louisville game or whatever, is going to do better than Duke versus Campbell. And the same thing in theory in football. If Instead of Duke playing Navy, if you have a Duke, I know it doesn't sound exciting, but if it's a league game and it's Duke-NC State or something that gets added. I was just I think, not aware that there was a monetary No, motivation. that was the reason to do it. And so what I'm saying is, status quo, it's not mandated to go to more. But step up your scheduling game anyway, and I'm tired of the rest of the league saying it's impossible to get a Power 5 opponent. You just pointed out, hi, I'm NC State, hi, I'm Wake Forest, I can't find a Power 5 opponent. Play each other. Well, that's a bad example. They're in the same division. But, you know, Duke, whoever. Florida State, them. UNC. Florida you, State, you Georgia can, Tech. You can play an out of – yeah, FSU could add Georgia Tech. You could do that, and it would you would get to the same place without it being mandated. Tom's giving us the glare. We're out of time. We'll continue this next week. He's Keith. I'm Tom. Hopefully we'll be in a better mood uh, after this weekend. We'll see. Have a great night, everybody. Oh, he's old, and he's a legend, oh, oh, and he's in a status act.